Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 135, War Games. Isn't that a 1980s music with uh, Matthew somebody in it, Jesse? It was uh, Ferris Bueller. Ferris Bueller's in that movie. We are broadcasting live, well, live for us from our world Wide headquarters here in Blacksburg, Virginia. Yeah, he was. Uh, now, now that's going to be stuck Morgan. in my head. Remind me his last name. I can't it's think of Ferris it right Bueller. Now. Matthew yeah, he's Broderick. Broderick. He yeah. was in Godzilla, more recent Godzilla yeah, movie. Yeah. Uh, Inspector Gadget. Shall we play a game? And he started playing uh, Global Thermal Nuclear War with the NORAD computer, supercomputer and something. <laughs> Simulating, we're well, doing a review of that movie today. That's right. We're, uh, <laughs> that's right. Today, it's like uh, that's not the right. <laughs> oh, that I don't was even know reviewers. my buttons. They changed. That's not it. It's not. There it is. There we go. No reviewers not, today. No reviewers. Except Jesse, I have a moment of sadness I have to share with you as we begin today. Not a war game, more of a capitulation. I oh, know. Two years ago, I bought a very innovative product with Joe Biden's money, pandemic money. Um, called the Spark Grill, which was basically the idea was not a pellet grill or a gas grill, which are both very easy yeah. to turn on, cook okay. right away, but a charcoal grill with the same convenience of uh, temperature control with computer fans and that kind of thing, as well as instant lighting with Sounds these cool. specified uh, charcoal bricks. And I've been using it for two years happily. They just went out of business. Um And so they actually make, it's like getting ink cartridges for your oh, like, deal. like. Briquette, yeah, yeah like, they make these bricks that are pressed a certain way. Okay. And they have holes for their airflow to control the temperature so precisely. So you can't get those anymore? Well, I've got two little boxes of them, and after that, it's done. And it, apparently, I don't know what happened. Nobody knows what's happened. There wasn't been good communication. And and they've always warned you can't really use charcoal the same in it. You can build a fire and stick it in the bottom, but the temperature control doesn't really work mm. then. And so... So here's a moment of silence, Jesse, mm. <laughs> for the spark, my overpriced uh, early adapter computerized charcoal grill that will now not work. <laughs> I mean, if they sold enough, that somebody should come along and make those briquettes, right? Yeah, my my dad, they raised like $7 million in venture capital in April. Like, so I, they burned a ton of money. Um, probably somebody's in trouble. Mm. I don't know, but... Uh, mm. It's uh it's a sad day for me, except that, you know, you might I might be in the market for a grill. You might be in the market. Soon, now I, is... I, I need to figure out you wanna buy my grill? No, you don't. You don't you want to buy my grill because I have grill? a propane grill. No, I do grill. not want that ever. I have a a Weber propane grill that I like. Well, good brand, yeah. Classic and, um, Weber. And I have that little smoker you gave me. Yeah. Oh man, speaking of these two grills, yep. as long as we're on grill talk. Yeah. <laughs> Grill Yesterday was my uh, underground grill talk. My <laughs> my third my uh, my my oldest son turned thirteen yesterday. Wow! And our kids for we we do the same thing for every kid. In the morning we do pancakes and we do the the number of their age on the pancake on the pancake. Nice with like whip, and, uh, whipped cream or something. Yeah, whatever they want. <laughs> right, so chocolate we, sauce. Know, yeah, or, yeah, so uh, that's in the morning, and then and then they get to pick their birthday dinner. Oh. So uh, we got three birthdays in a row, three days in a row. Wow! So my youngest turned five. She she chose macaroni and cheese. Oh, hey, easy, easy, uh, easy, easy, easy peasy there. Yeah. Easy. And then my thirteen year old, he asked for reversed, reverse seared, um, t bones. Wow! And then I, you know, I found in my freezer some 
uh, filet mignon, <laughs> all from all from a cow from Floyd County. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. That you had butchered or what? Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Our friends. Uh, so did you do both? Did you? Oh, do I just did and both. Fillets? Oh my god! The, the fillet was the best steak I think I've ever tasted. Wow! So wow. I smoked it first in the in the wow. little red box and then threw it on the propane. Propane grill. And, That's uh, the way to do it. You do need a hot searing grill, and yeah. you need something that can smoke low and slow. Man, Everyone out there, you need both. You need both, but this uh, is why I want to get a pellet grill. Can't you do both? Yes, there. And, and I'll tell you, the Rectech Bullseye Deluxe 380X <laughs> will... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you just kept it, going. It will uh, it will do a thousand degrees as a pellet grill. It's the size of a twenty two inch Weber kettle circular. Okay, and so it'll go from it'll smoke low and slow at two hundred. Unless you're See, cooking more than two pork butts, I think it's the one you need. It's, this is what I need. As I my, will be happy if I get that. As <laughs> finally, my, as my wife has learned, though, it is not cheap. Now uh, the original bullseye is a little cheaper. It doesn't. It only goes seven hundred. But you can sear a steak. Five six hundred yeah, degrees. So. Yeah, I think my grill was probably about five hundred. Yeah, yeah, five hundred degrees. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I am uh, now. I am a conflicted person. I am shopping. My wife is not happy with me. She goes, "Why does every grill you like have to cost so much money?" I'm like, "Oh, it's to you." <laughs> We make money, <laughs> you know, <laughs> playing the consumer game, Jesse, uh, right. trying not to turn it into a religion, trying to take the pleasure of eating filet mignon, not mm. into a pleasure game to worship pleasure, but the creator of that cow and its backstrap that you can eat. We are finishing up sacred games today, Jesse. We have been through power games where we learned reducing all of life to oppressing oppressors and saviors, or like we like to say, allies, enemies, or saviors. If you see everyone that way, we're seeing uh, the world in a quite interesting way. Connection games, tribalism around all sorts of things, consumer games, wanting to buy expensive pellet grills, and then pleasure games, worshiping uh, the creator, not the created thing who should be forever praised. And so in our cultural moment, these are the games the sacred games we are playing to fill the gaps left by sociologically religion, but spiritually by God, right? Uh, If God is dead, what will have to take its place? This is what our society is doing. And the final uh, topic today, Jesse, is not the war between people who know how to grill on charcoal and okay. those who use propane. Okay. Um, but it is, uh, we, I debated whether to do two episodes, one on politics, right? Which we did a long time ago on yeah. the underground, like the first year, I think we were podcasting, um, or war or both. And so since my son re- reminded me that um, hostile negotiations are negotiations with a lightsaber, that politics and warfare are actually very close, and we could do this in one episode. In fact, uh, Karl Avon Clauschwitz, Prussian general in the 1700s, 1780-1831, classically wrote a book called On War. Uh, not surprising that a Prussian general in the uh, late 18th and uh, early 19th century would write a book on war. Uh, wrote the classic quote, war is the continuation of policy with other means. And by that now, it means like with machine guns and bazookas and howitzers and things like that. The threat of of nuclear... In the threat of nuclear weapons or invasion. Um, So uh, politics and war, uh, negotiations with a lightsaber or war is a continuation of policy, politics, right, uh, by other means. And Jesse, if you remember when we talked about the power game, we quoted a lengthy thing from uh, Thomas's, Thomas Hobbes' book, The Leviathan. 
if you guys listening and remember back, we looked at this in sort of why we needed power over us and authority. Where Hobbes, there's a lengthy part, but this is the uh, quote from him that says that uh, man's life is solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. And he was talking about how people remain at peace with each other. Uh, and his his idea was like that you needed a power to rule over you, someone who to settle the disputes, a big hand over us. Now, for him, he was, most would argue, and I was talking to Tommy about it because he's taking AP European history right now. We were talking about Hobbes, as we do uh, in the house. Uh, we talk about Grills, uh, Star Wars, and Thomas Hobbes. Um, he was saying he was, you know, a, really for monarchy. And some would say even Thomas, Thomas Hobbes was an absolute monarchist. He thought power should be centralized in mm. the king or the queen, right? Uh, so that uh, peace could be maintained. And the problem with that, right, in Hobbes' own words, um, this is another place in Hobbes that is quoted in the book Science and the Good that we did a podcast series on by Hunter Nedaleski. Uh, Hobbes began by denying that morality is a is a part an inherent part of the natural world or human nature and that there isn't any morality prior to humans uh, making it so he he put it this way for these words good evil contemptible are ever used in relationship to that person that used them that uses them there being nothing simply and absolutely so not any common rule of good and evil to be taken from the nature of the objects themselves instead the moral law is whatever human beings make it to be through consent and convention. So in Hobbes, and this is a very influential thinker in the Western tradition, we have this idea that you need something over you to uh, keep people at peace. Otherwise, I disagree. You can't decide. But he doesn't believe that morality is real or that good and evil is real. So he wants a potentate, a powerful person, a king, a monarch, to hold us uh, in a peaceful situation, not unlike those who want kind of powerful rulers to kind of lay it down today. Uh, and this gives us options today in our culture, Jesse. And you may be wondering why I'm making a big deal out of Hobbes, guys, if you're listening. If you agree with him, and I kind of do, that we need something over us to help us be at peace, um, what is it going to be? Option A could be a powerful state. Doesn't have to be a monarch. It could be, hey, we want someone that will own the fascists or own the libs, right? We want a powerful ruler to rule over us to keep us at peace. Or option B, you could go with ideas like the New England uh, founding person in America, John Adams, who said our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Now, he's not saying that this is a Christian nation. I've seen this used by people say, oh, we're a Christian nation because John Adams said this. But what he is saying, if people themselves don't have a government of the good in their own heart and soul, right, usually comes from religion, good and bad, good and evil, morality, or just a moral center, the freedoms we have and the way we live together becomes very tenuous, if not impossible. Right. Yeah. I mean, self, self-government by the people for the people only works if the, well, it only works well if the people are virtuous. That's, That's really right. what he's saying. And, That's right. And he's saying virtuous people are formed by being moral and religious. And, and, uh, and, and, and moreover, I think he would say if we can't agree on what is good, then we can't, 
work politically for the common good, right? Yeah, and, how do you work together for the good you don't agree on? Yeah, yeah. In particular, it gets very difficult in our cultural moment if you have polar opposite understandings of certain realities that you think are good or not. This is why those who are playing the power game, both on the left and the right, politically in our culture, are willing to use it to suppress speech, right? We're seeing this right now, like everybody going nuts about Elon Musk, like, you know, all the right wingers are going, yeah, Elon Musk is the savior of Twitter. And all, all the others are like, we're going to leave Twitter. This is terrible. And the and the Twitter files coming out about who's suppressing what. But it, the, the scary thing is here, it's not simply endemic or to, to, to a specific political ideology. Everyone wants to suppress speech that they don't like because they don't agree on how to adjudicate these problems. So, Force and fraud, which are kind of, you know, a lot of people agree, immoral, forcing someone to do something against their will, um, or fraud, lying them, not giving them the information they need to make good decisions, uh, is what people are going to. Hey, we should force people to do this. We should force people to do that. And that is not something coming simply from the political right or the political left. It's coming from both of those far folks who are at not at a state of peace with one another, but yet... Uh, at a state of war. Remember, if you play the power game, people, you have to see them only as an ally, an enemy, or some sort of savior who's rescuing Mm. the situation. And so, Jesse, unfortunately, one of the sacred games I think is most dangerous is the war game, the politics game that we're playing as a culture now, and people are really into it. Now, I do think, you know, places like Twitter, which you're back on Twitter, apparently, yeah? Like, I'm back on Twitter. <laughs> I am I am on Twitter to own everybody, yeah, to destroy own, own all my them, enemies. Destroy them. I'm going yeah. to be throwing my spears of influence into the cultural war. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, no, I'm your, <laughs> your spear, your spear of influence <laughs> into my spheres of influence. Uh, um, yeah, I am back on Twitter and it is all war. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm on Twitter for the amateur dressing Twitter. And, you know, maybe, you know, I do more Instagram for barbecue uh, Instagram. You know, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to like like uh, curate who I follow because I get recommendations where I'm like, no, that- I don't want to watch the Christians fight each other. Yeah, on so Twitter. I'm starting yeah. to go more towards like um, my favorite fantasy football. There you analysts. go. There you go. Yeah. I need to find people that talk about grilling. Yes. You know? Yes. It's uh Instagram's I, has some really good reels and videos for mm. barbecuing. So I do more of that there, but, but it is all war. And, and the, the thing about the thing about the, the, the kind of warfare is, um, there's so much friendly fire too. Well, if there's if you're if they're shooting everywhere, that's right. Uh, it's really hard not to get. Yeah, people you don't know, little context, and mm-hmm. and folks just want to go at it. It's a personality type that I think is drawn to it. Um, and you got to do that to get attention and followers. And there's some personality types involved with that as well um, to kind of uh, project an influence maybe that they do or do not have in the world. But just in case you think we might be overreacting uh, with Civil War jokes or prognostications of being uh, not at peace, the University of Virginia Center for Politics uh, and a group called Project Home Fire in fall 2021, just a year ago, surveyed uh, these United States Americans. And they found this significant numbers of both Trump and Biden voters showed a willingness to consider violating democratic tendencies and norms if needed 
to serve their priorities. Like, let's suppress free speech. Why? Well, they're fascists or they're communists, right? Roughly, now get this, Jesse, roughly two in 10 Trump and Biden voters strongly agree it would be better if, quote, a president could take the needed actions without being constrained by the Congress or the courts. Crazy. And roughly 41% of Biden, four in 10, 41% Biden voters and half, 52% of Trump voters at least somewhat agree that it's time to split the country. No way. <laughs> yeah, favoring red and blue states seceding from the union. We have a footnote for this, Jay. Center for Politics, Crystal Ball Articles, September 2021. And David French, who's his own Twitter warrior and fight people fight over David French, he said why he said this in an article in the dispatch. Why would they even contemplate making such a drastic step, you know, split the country? Well, the poll provides the answers. They're not surprising. Competing partisans loathe each other mm-hmm. and view the opposition as an existential and I would say immediate threat. This also isn't new. It's been tracked in poll after poll for year after year. But but this one found that the strong majority of Trump supporters falsely believe there is no real difference between Democrats and socialists. And the majority of Biden voters falsely see no real difference between Republicans and fascists. So everybody's Stalin and Nazis, Jesse, and we are not at peace. What is a follower of Jesus to do? Because mind you, there are followers of Jesus playing this war game with each other. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I've been thinking a lot about in this season, partly because I just preached a sermon on the flood and I was trying to sort of help my church make sense of why would God bring a destructive, you know, kind of judgment of the flood. And, and, but anyway, I'm just trying to, trying to look at how is it that we view our enemies? Yeah. Yeah. So, or another way to put it is what do we want to happen to our enemies? This really matters, right? Like, yeah. if I view my enemy and I and I and I have no no nuance at all. There's no there's no sense of, okay, I disagree with them, but it's just I disagree with them. Therefore, right? And the therefore is they're a Nazi, yeah, or, or they should be destroyed, or they should, and then and then and Lose then yeah, what do I what owned. do I want to happen yeah. to them? Right? Yeah. As a Christian, I should want redemption. Yes, yeah, I should want salvation. I should want. Um, to win them over That's to Christ right. and the kingdom, but if what I want is for them for them to be destroyed, yeah, either that either that um, whether that means uh, physically, yeah, yeah, which yeah. it can, I mean, reputationally you know, or reputationally, financially, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Jesse, it's a hard time to navigate because all of us, I think, have friends who are playing the war game, the uh, the politics slash war game. Uh, and it seems to be accelerating in people's souls that we know and love. And so um, now this is something, let's just call it silly, that at times people want to do and say, what's the Christian position on politics? I'm like, oh my gosh, like, is there one? How many Christians are there? What time in history, right? What what existential threats are they facing? Um, but there are Christian principles, right, to live in a world. We've done an episode here on the podcast uh, of how Christians have and can thrive under any sort of civil government. And I mean that. If you're a Christian, your government has to be communist, or you happen to be in a tribe chieftain culture, or a socialist, or a free democracy. There are challenges, uh, and then there are opportunities to live as a kingdom citizen in all those places, and and many times you don't have a choice anyway. Uh, but in our reality today, what are some principles or at least some concepts we have to be aware of as our culture politically polarizes and perhaps splits itself someday? I don't 
Uh, I'm not prophesying that. I'm not trying to say, oh, we're going to have a civil war. We should or not. Um, but it's a thought experiment. Uh, you know, two sides of the street, there's people shooting. Where are you? Are you dead in the middle of the street? Do you jump on the side most aligned in your view with biblical values? Um, how do you respond if a government begins to persecute you for certain things that you believe are good and right and true? And I do think many people fear this, right, uh, in our society, whether they're going to be persecuted from the left or the right or take away your rights, whatever it might be. How do we how do we roll? So I want to give a few descriptions of things today, Jesse. First being civil disobedience. Uh, second being just war, what war, the war tradition within Christian thinking has been. Uh, and then finally, Christian pacifism. And then we'll talk a little bit our view on fighting and then whether or not we should engage uh, in the war game. Jesse, have you ever civil disobeyed anything? I mean, I've disobeyed, disobeyed laws personally. I I, I civilly much. disobey the speed limit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They try to make me drive 70 and I can't do it. <laughs> I will not lay down my rights to yeah. this. Um, yeah. No, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And for the most part, most Christians for all time agreed that we should, like Romans 13, 1 Peter, obey, yeah. obey governing authorities, honor, honor, fear God, honor the emperor, you know, that... Pay taxes, Jesus, who give to Caesar what's Caesar, who's on the coin, right? Wonderful teaching from uh, our Lord. Um, but there might become a time yeah. when we're called to obey government and we can't or don't want to, other than you know trying to do your taxes. Um, and so throughout history, Christians have wrestled with this. How do you both submit to government? Uh, governing authorities and you obey laws, right? Laws that are good. Laws actually help us live peaceable with one another. We don't steal each other's stuff uh, and we don't blow up each other's mailboxes and we uh, we kind of drive on the certain side of the road because that's what we do. It helps uh, flourishing and peaceable living. But there are times we've seen throughout history, maybe in the abolition of slavery, civil rights movement, maybe protests about this war being just or not, people disobey the law on purpose. Now, we're not doing a whole episode. I think we might have in the past done something on civil dis disobedience. But there's two major views from Christian perspectives that I respect. One would call it a non-promulgationalist view, and one would be a non-compulsionist view. Uh, I personally am a non-compulsionist, Jesse. Non-promulgationalism basically says that if the government propagates or promulgates evil— Right, makes a law that says it's legal to do something evil, yeah. then that government, by very nature of allowing evil to be done, is an illegitimate government and can be disobeyed. Um, for instance, the government, you know, you may live in California or a state that's maybe has very open abortion laws or something, or maybe you, you were in the time of slave state and free state in America. Uh, and you would be, because the government's evil, I don't have to obey anything that they tell me to do just because they're allowing it, right? Yeah. Um, that's a hard position for me because simply because someone allows, say, abortion on demand up to birth or even after birth doesn't mean they're making me do it. And so I, I think in terms of the other view, non-compulsion is if the government compels you to sin or do evil, then you have a, 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 a right, not only a right, but a moral duty then in that case to uh, not obey that government. But that even, Jesse, this is very important. And, you know, I was a wrestler. I, I used to like fighting dudes. Like, I used to get in fights and stuff and liked it. So, like, I wasn't a pacifist by nature. Like, hey, let's get in the scrap after Thursday night at the bar or whatever. 
Christians are never called to be violent. Like, hey, I don't like the government. Let me blow it up. Yeah. Nonviolent civil disobedience when the government compels you to sin has been the tradition. Now, what about war, Jesse? Me and I, you and I were uh, <laughs> exchanging texts. I was like, Jesse, send me the best resources on pacifism. <laughs> and it turns out, like, you, you own a weapon legally. I don't. And I was like, wow, maybe I'm more you're, the pacifist. Yeah, you're the pacifist. <laughs> you're the guy. I, I, I have a concealed carry permit. <laughs> you could shoot me right now. I, you look, you, I just saw you <laughs> yeah, look I'm at look, me wondering, I'm where is the gun? I'm the not carrying. your waistline. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am yeah. not. Uh, I, I only carry when I am... Um, Frankly, I only carry deep in the woods when you're alone. When I'm yeah. alone, and it's more about uh, bears, bears yeah. than uh, when I'm fly fishing, you know, with no yeah. one around. But yeah, um, uh, yeah. So, so I, I you, you, we were kind of joking about how you know, I'm, I'm, I don't believe in Christian pacifism. Right. I respect the view, especially yeah. as it's articulated by people like uh, Stanley Hauerwas or. Uh, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer with nonviolence, yeah. Yeah. Um, but just war. Yeah, you know that that's kind of where I am. So, yeah. Yeah. so, uh, and and this is a very interesting thing, and I think a good dialogue. I even told Jesse before this that my position. I was like, Jesse, my position. A lot of people think is weird. Is like I support uh, the right to bear arms and defend yourself, and and, ju- and even in terms of states, just war theory. But I believe that as Christians, we need that in the tension and dialogue and conversation with actual Christian yes. pacifists who, by conviction, uh, don't want to fight uh, anybody. But some of you out there, um, these might be new terms to you. I know in my education, I really didn't get exposed mm. to just war theory until I was doing graduate work and taking some philosophical uh, classes in, in, in graduate school. Um, goes way back to the, you know, people coming out of the Roman Empire, which, you know, like, hey, let's go conquer the world and make us ourselves great and bring peace on people. How do we do that? Well, we conquer them and give them a good system. Um, Bishop Ambrose, then to Augustine of Hippo, um, were very good writers on just war theory, trying to, and I think in many ways tempered, uh, particularly in the North African and European venue where Rome was, you know, and empires were fighting and rising and falling forever in the world, uh, gave the idea that, hey, you shouldn't just go conquer people. Yeah. And probably the easiest, clearest one, and I'll have you read that because yeah. you're, you're a just war theory student today, uh, came from Thomas Aquinas in his Summa Theologica. Uh, question number four was simply on war. And on so war. he was saying, hey, a, in order for a war to be just, it needs uh, three things. I answer that. This is Aquinas. In order for a war to be just, three things are necessary. First, the authority of the sovereign by whose command the war is to be waged. For it is not the business of a private individual to, to declare war because he can seek for redress of his rights from the tribunal of his superior. So that's in our tradition, Congress declares wars. Right. You know, yeah. Secondly, a just cause. So first, the authority. Second, a just cause is required. Wherefore, Augustine says, a just war is, uh, sorry, a just war is, ooh, let me start over. Secondly, a just cause is required, namely that those who are attacked should be attacked because they deserve it on account of some fault. Wherefore, Augustine says, a just war is one to be described as one that avenges wrongs when a nation or state has to be punished for refusing to make amends for the wrongs inflicted by its subjects or to restore what it has seized unjustly. Okay, this is why there's strong unity that what Vladimir Putin is doing, aggressively taking land from his neighbor, is not right. 
So people would say it's right for the Ukrainians to defend themselves, right. right? They, hey, we got to put that boundary back, amend for the wrongs done to these people, uh, and to restore what has been seized unjustly. Okay, thirdly. Third, it's necessary that the belligerents should have a rightful intention so that they intend the advancement of good or the avoidance of evil. Hence, Augustine says, true religion looks upon as peaceful those wars that are waged not from motives of aggrandizement or cruelty, but with the object of securing peace, of punishing evildoers, and of uplifting the good. For it may happen that the war is declared by the legitimate authority and for a just cause, yet be rendered unlawful through a wicked intention. Hence, Augustine says, the passion for inflicting harm, the cruel thirst for vengeance, an unpacifistic and relentless spirit, the fever of revolt, the lust of power, and such like things, all these are rightly condemned in war. Okay, so these are people thinking deeply about good and evil, looking into the world as it is, not as you know we'd like it to be, God, your will be done as, on earth as it is in heaven. We're not yet in, he- in the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. Um, what happens if your neighbor comes and invades you? Are you allowed to protect your children? And uh, are you allowed to protect your property? And so just war theory, um, in the Latin tradition at least, um, by Augustine, Aquinas, and things like that. You'll see Aquinas, obviously, is Jesse quoting Augustine, Augustine extensively, yeah. has to be something that's uh, rightful authority doing and not just a bunch of vigilantes shooting each other up in the street, uh, a just and right cause, right? And then to be done, and this is like the first principles of morality, really, advance the good, avoid evil, right? Uh, that you're not doing, oh, we got an opportunity, we have a pretext yeah. for war. Oh, they did this. No, now we go take all their stuff and take over their gold mines or something, you know, that, that would be condemned in the Christian tradition as an evil and wicked war. Can I, yeah, that's good. If you don't mind, I'm going to add a few. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is an Aquinas, but, um, uh, one of my professors at Southeastern Daniel Heimbach is a, is an ethicist who did his, I think he did his dissertation on just war theory. He actually helped write the just war theory for the, the our original Desert Storm work as a, um, a member of... Which probably was a just war. Yeah, right. And the second one probably wasn't. Right. So he, <laughs> he wrote he wrote uh, for the first one as a right. um, member of the um, first HW, yeah. yeah, the first Bush's administration. And, and for you guys with a quick history lesson, Saddam Hussein had invaded Kuwait. Kuwait. That's what, that's what it basically right. was, the invasion of Kuwait. Yeah. And he he would add to Aquinas's a few more. One is last resort. So mm-hmm. you know, in other words, first all realistic nonviolent options should be exhausted. considered and exhausted. Yep. Uh, another would be probability of success. Uh, so a just war is one in which the nation has a realistic chance of victory. Um, so this kind of uh, sort of fits into that third one of Aquinas that that it's not just like hey we want to we want to fight these guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Another one would be proportionality of projected results. Yes. Um, proportionality in modern uh, just war theory is very important, particularly with the kind of weaponry that has now yes. pro- proliferated, right? Before, when you came in with a battle axe and a shield wall or whatever, there were certainly things on the line. But now someone comes in with a nuclear, global thermal nuclear warhead. Man, you, you, someone takes your gold mine, you can't launch a nuke at their capital city. That's exactly. disproportional, right? Yep, yeah. yep. And then the fine one is, well, actually, and th- those would be the only additions. Yeah. So I, I found those to be helpful. Very, too, very that, helpful. You know, very helpful. And I'll, I'll uh, post the link or 
I'll, yeah, yeah. Put it. We'll put that yeah, in the show, show notes, notes for you guys. And and th- these things are important because if there is ever fighting, should Christians be involved? This has always been a question for those who take their faith in Jesus Christ and the lordship of, of God in their life seriously. That they, you know, you don't want to just go kill people, right? It's uh, you don't want to commit murder. And usually, the exceptions to that commandment in the Bible is usually like self defense, or you know, if you're a soldier fighting in a in a just war. Now, the pacifistic tradition does come from Christians, people like uh, in a tradition, particularly like the Anabaptists, Quakers, Amish, Mennonites um, have held this. This comes from biblical ideas. Jesus turned the other cheek, and we know there's honor and things going on in Sermon on the Mount. We're not trying to teach that today. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. That's a paraphrase that's come down in history from Matthew 26. Jesus, blessed are the peacemakers. (laughs) We call sons of God, Matthew 5, uh, and James 3, peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness, right? This idea that Christians want to go make war on everybody is foreign to the biblical witness. Um, and so that's why we should we should take things seriously. And I think listen to uh, pa- pacifists and everybody who's a dove or a warmonger has wrangled in the Western tradition, either whether this is a just war. That's why it was so important, whether there was weapons of mass destruction. Turns out there wasn't. Uh, because otherwise, what it, there was no reason for it, right? It's an unjust action by a government. And so, Jesse, these things, when we talk about, hey, the government's going to compel me to do something, we nonviolent, virtuous disobedience. Um, if there is war breaking out in them streets, where are we with that? Well, we're not fighting if we don't think it's a just cause for the sake of conscience. Uh, and we need to realize that peace is the condition that people flourish best in, uh, in terms of uh, obeying God and flourishing as people created in Him as in image in His image, doing good on the earth. But what do we do, Jesse? This war game is it a sacred game? Well, it seems like politics for many has become like a religion. What are some of the religious activities or behaviors do you see? Uh, those who are really, I'm really, you, you meet somebody, I'm really into politics. Um, how does politics become like a sacred game, a religion replacement? Well, I would say there's there's at least a few that come to mind immediately. One is that uh, we make sacrifices. Yep. Uh, we, we kind of, um, we sacrifice uh, someone or something uh, in order to advance the cause or... Um, you know, satisfy the God of, yeah. you know, the, yeah. the donkey or the elephant. Yeah. And if you think they can do, can't do any wrong that would ever t- change your support of that, um, it seems like the highest principle is then partisanship or ideology rather than morality. And bro, we should do a whole, I mean, you, we should do a whole nother podcast in 2023 on Christian nationalism. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, I've had some friends have written on that that we could even get on for that. Yeah. 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 Kick me off Boy, and get that, someone that, on. No, I no, no, I will, no, no. I want to listen to that. We've one. got lots of microphones. And, uh, yeah. Hey, Jesse, how about on the Gospel Underground? We do Christian nationalism. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, 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 I want to be happy in my life. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I, I just think that yeah. the, the, the the ways in which we've we've kind of brought religion and politics together into a kind of worshiping system yeah. of meaning, of belonging, of yeah. ultimate allegiances is just... And what's the difference between patriotism and nationalism? Which there know? is. Yeah. And, you know, do you want just laws? Yes. Can you have just laws with the denial of God? Ultimately, No. 
but do, do you need a state that makes everyone compelled to have the same religion? Oh, yeah, no, coer- no, coercion. No, is no, a, no, no, you, no, no. You talked about compulsion, yeah. no, coercion, no, no. and that that's so important. Um, well, Jesse, thank you for that uh, idea. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I'll politics take it under adv- adv- and religion are, yeah. are so united. Yeah, in, I'll in, take in that our... under advisement. <laughs> uh, but yeah, someone Paul, else is doing yeah, it. Yeah, so yeah. people make sacrifices, yeah. right, for uh, the cause so much that their allegiance, people will sin or accept grievous sins. Uh, for the sake of a political cause, um, you know, ultimate trust. What am I trusting in? Where is my hope, right? My hope is built in nothing less than someone taking back the White House. Are you kidding me? Um, It is subtle. um, It is insidious. And it happens to people today on the left, on the right, uh, maybe some blase centrism that doesn't care. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think if we go back to our first episode in the series where we talked about um, sacred games and we, we, we read from uh, Tara Burton's book, Strange Rights, where she, she really does make a compelling case, not just about politics, right? She's, it's, it's kind of a bespoke all over the place right. remix, but um, she talks about the, the pillars of what religion always has being meaning, purpose, community, and ritual. That's right. And I think that it's it's almost self-evident that how, how much things. those things have, have played into modern kind of uh, late late modernity in the West in terms of how we think politically and tribally. That's right. And how those things are used in those political debates yep. and conversations because, um, you know, people... Uh, if they vote a certain way, how can you do that? You're supposed to believe in God. <laughs> like, yeah. And people, people use that statement for both, both the other, the yeah, other side. How yeah. can you do that? You supposedly believe in God. Yeah. How can I, you support the orange man or, yeah. or these people who are yeah. want to kill your babies or whatever, you know, it's, uh, it's wild. It doesn't mean you cannot be politically engaged with convictions because look, the political game, the power game, the war game is on, Right. Hostilities, but we're we're people of the principles. Yeah. 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 We want to be we want to be about not ethics of withdrawal, but ethics of engagement. Yes, politically. Peacemaking. Yeah. Yep. Um justification of violence? No. Um, you know, I, I you know, I, I I don't own rifles, I don't hunt stuff, I don't own guns, I just never have. But, you know, I did like a scrap when before I was converted, you know, somebody mouthed off at a bar, you know, you know, they chat stuff, they get they got they got something, you know what I'm saying? And I, I'll just be honest, I didn't mind doing it, right? It's like kind of something some I did and um and, and look, if somebody's doing some evil to my family, I'm yeah. gonna pull them off, right? I'm not I'm not saying that. But the way of the Christian, is it the war game? Um, and, and somebody say, well, there's a war, whether you want it or not. Well, I agree with that in some ways. I, I'm not saying there's not, but that's not our first principle. Our first principle isn't like, who do we fight today? Or if we do fight, our weapons are not carnal, uh, but they're spiritual for taking down things in, in lofty places. So Christians, our role in the world is to live for Jesus Christ, right? To follow him. Um, I love First Peter too. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Mm-hmm. Right. We're to obey uh, governing authorities. Civil disobedience in virtue, if compelled, martyrdom if necessary. Man, I'll go. I'll go down uh, for principles. Right. And in my view, we're persons at liberty to fight for their country if they think the cause is right. If not, conscientiously object. See the movie Hacksaw Ridge. It's great. But with the world like this, playing the power game. Connecting with different tribalism, 
worshiping money, worshiping pleasure, to the point that we will go down to blows for it. Why are we playing these games, Jesse? I want to revisit the reason why is because the prescient thinking of Nietzsche was, if God is dead, something will have to take his place. Both sociologically in terms of the the role of religion in human life, but even more importantly, spiritually in the life of a person and communities in their relationship to God. You declare God dead, other things go high to the top. In doing so, we've believed a lie, and ultimately we're playing the sacred truth game as denying the creator who bought us, who made us. And so the difficulty we have in our culture, we don't agree on what is highest and good, uh, what is right and what is true. We don't have a view of revelation like we do, Jesse, that, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You look to Jesus, his character, and his teaching to see what is good and true because he's God incarnate. And when you can't agree on these things, we have immense difficulty together. And these difficulties are very real and practical. And some people say, well, the war is on. Yeah, I know. How do you create laws that people agree that are just laws? If You don't know what justice is, right? Mm. Um, how do you resolve your differences without resorting to deception or violence, force or fraud? How do you live at peace with your neighbors if they're living at enmity with you? But I think I do think just if I could jump in one last time, there is that last question. How do you live at peace with your neighbors, even if they're not at peace with you? Um, I think that is both. uh, I just think that's a profound picture of even how we would engage in war. That's right. right. Augustine says that there's such a thing as a peaceable war, meaning what is the point? Like, why are we doing this? We're doing this to accomplish more good, more peace, more flourishing. We're, we're, in other words, the aim is not just the total destruction of our enemies, but the establishment of the good, true and beautiful. Yes. And, and so even when we're thinking about interpersonal relationships as Christians, um, my goal is not to engage with this person in order to fully and finally destroy them, but actually to establish peace between them and God and, and between me and them. That's right. And That's so, right. so I do, I do think living at peace with our neighbors might mean engaging in the kind of, you know, what maybe culture war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is where I kind of yeah. like to joke about yeah. spears of influence. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it, 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 it doesn't mean withdrawing. That's it right. does mean engaging. That's right. But it means That's engaging right. with the telos or the, the, the final goal of, I want peace here between That's us right. and peace, but you know, vertically and horizontally. And that means, and peace sometimes means scraps. That's you know, right. Sometimes it does mean mixing it up. That's right. Because that, peace isn't just disarmament. Peace is also, it may, it may mean like we're going to wrestle. Yeah, we're standing for the good here. Yeah. We're not going down for that. Yeah, Jesse, when you say what kind of engagement do you want, this is one of the key principles of the ministry of the Gospel Underground, thoughtful engagement with people in culture. And how do we go about doing that? So in light of the sacred games that we see, right, these are the games, the religions, the substitutes in our society, how do we engage with that? And certainly the word thoughtfully comes to my mind. So over the next several, I don't know, 12 or so, Lord willing, podcast episodes here on the Underground, guys, here's where we're going. Uh, We're going to do a short uh, series that, you know, the culture war people might get a little angry with me on, but, you know, I want you to listen to me. 
respect in a raging culture. We're going to do four parts on that, Jesse. Why listening and trying to find some common ground and common good is important. Valuing the image of God in other people as valuable in and of themselves. And then third, as far as it's up to you, this is, a, I think it's in Romans 12, as far as it's up to you, live at peace mm-hmm. with all people. Uh, not always possible. You don't have to take abuse from people. Uh, you can maintain, though, dignity, character uh, in your stances in the world. And sometimes you just simply say, I mean, I have it on my shelf back here, Jesse, the word nope, nope. <laughs> right? Conviction with compassion and courage on things that are good and true and harmful to other humans, we make our stand. And then fourth, uh, respect in a raging culture means we also witness to Jesus and the gospel. Uh, We fight with those weapons of seeing redemption come to people through the gospel of grace. And then we'll go into some practicals, Jesse, where I'm going to give away some of the uh, gospel underground store, so to speak, uh, where we'll talk about having a real witness in a raging culture. And this is some stuff that I do on the road that churches uh, have me in to do uh, on how we thoughtfully engage evangelistically with others. How do we have that witness to Jesus and the gospel? And we'll spend some time in the kingdom of Asseldar. Yeah, I have not uh, done Jesse. this training with you before, <laughs> yeah, but right. I, I got to tell you, A-S-S-L-D-A-R, Asseldar <laughs> is is intriguing. I, I, I am excited. Well, Jesse, because is... we podcast together, we will engage that training there as I share it for free with the world. Wow. You have me into your church, and I'll do some training with your people. It's the way, I, it's the way our family tries to live. It's the way I'm trying to live amongst people, sharing your life, sharing the gospel, listening well. I used to word the, use the word deconstruct, but I'm using disrupt now. Uh, give good answers and repeat in love and life together. That's where we're going, mm. guys. Why do we go there? Why do we take uh, the sacred games and say, we're not playing all these games. We have to watch our own heart. We have to have our allegiance. Jesse, I know you like that word. To the King of kings and Lord of lords, for Jesus said to us, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. We are sojourners and strangers, chosen, elect exiles in this present age in order to be light as Jesus used us to love and to serve others as he seeks and to save that which is lost out of the peoples of the earth. We're in the borderlands between the church and culture. Jesse, that's why we're out here. The Gospel Underground Podcast is produced in partnership with the Bonhoeffer House. Review us on iTunes. Please do. Spotify, too. Give us reviews, five stars, comments, feedback, questions. You can send them to us at info at gospelunderground.org. We are a dialogue taking place in the borderlands between the church and culture, even if the block is getting a little hot, Jesse. And we hope to see you out there. Peace. Peace.